when you look at what defines us, I think the moments where we, we learn something new, a new skill, a new piece of knowledge, a new thing to do, are the moments when we live, when we can feel ourselves, when we really there. Um, and that means you can only learn something new if you're bad at something, right? If you're really good at it, you likely won't learn that much new stuff, right? So most of us, correct, most of us get a job and stay there for the rest of their lives. And my God, that's so boring. It's so unambitious. I think if, if you take the opposite mindset and say, let's pick the thing we're the worst at and really try it out and, and walk our way through it, it's going to be painful, but you will be a much, much better human being and you will live so much longer. Hi, everyone. I'm Pankaj Mishra, and you are listening to the Outliers podcast. It's a podcast, a series of conversations with outliers. I am sitting down with uh, a real outlier, if I may say that, uh, Sebastian Thrun, uh, one of the most uh, ambitious inventors of our times, I would say, from what I have been reading and following. Uh, Sebastian, one thing that hit me when I was looking up LinkedIn, I, I know it's quite boring to look up LinkedIn profiles. Uh, you had this uh, Kitty Hawkins uh, as uh, an assignment for like over 60 years. I haven't seen a LinkedIn profile with uh, this kind of timeline. What is that uh, all about? I mean, and, and can you take me through uh, why did you, you know, pursue that ambition, where, where you are and why does it show on LinkedIn as... 60 years, 11 months. <laughs> <laughs> that must be a LinkedIn calculation error. <laughs> or maybe I mistyped the year. But I've been interested in, um, in transportation for the better part of my professional life. Um, being here in Bangalore today, I can tell you I have a, a renewed interest in solving transportation problems. Give us a sense of where you come from, Sebastian. Uh, take me through if whatever you can share about uh, growing up. Uh, because a lot of time people talk about these dreams and something they dreamt when they were growing up. Uh, so were there any inspirations or motivations? Uh, give us a sense of where you come from. I, I'm, I'm really an outlier. I um, grew up in a family of three as the youngest with parents who had no time to pay attention to me. I quickly learned how to entertain myself from the youngest ages. And then for me, the biggest fun became uh, being a rebel, honestly. I... Uh, at seventh grade, I, I made a sport to myself and said, I'm never ever going to do homework assignments again for the rest of my life. And I almost kept it up all the way to a high school diploma to get away with copying other students' homework assignments. And in doing so, I learned how to be a nice person because I had to ask all my teammates or classmates, can I please copy your homework assignments? And I didn't do it because I couldn't do it myself. It, didn't, it was a phenomenally great sport to be a rebel. And I carried this rebelness with me through college and into my professor positions. How do you describe yourself? Inventor, academician, uh, what, what do you really love being described as? Look, I, what I'm passionate about is I, I, I love learning new things and I love empowering other people. And these are the two things that define me. Um, when I'm really good at something, uh, I quit. I uh, was a professor at Stanford. I think I'm, I'm, I'm still one of the most cited professors of Stanford of all times. And at some point I decided I'm good at that time to move on. So I became a VP at Google and had to start from scratch and eventually found myself into a startup captain as a 50-year-old surrounded by 20-year-olds. And I had to learn how to be a startup CEO, which was hard. But to me, these are a defining moments. So I recommend everybody pick the hard route. It's actually really fun. Learn something new. And then empowering, I mean, what better thing in life than empower other people? Like I built companies like Udacity, 
with millions of learners that all of a sudden get careers. Um, it's really gratifying. Every single one of those people who benefit from what I do define me. Why would you quit when you're really good at doing something? <laughs> a lot of people would stay there, right? It's, it's fun. Yeah, I think they're getting it wrong. I think when you look at what defines us, I think the moments where we, we learn something new, a new skill, a new piece of knowledge, a new thing to do, are the moments when we live, when we can feel ourselves, when we really there. Um, and that means you can only learn something new if you're bad at something, right? If you're really good at it, you likely won't learn that much new stuff, right? So most of us, correct, most of us get a job and stay there for the rest of their lives. And my God, that's so boring. It's so unambitious. I think if, if you take the opposite mindset and say, let's pick the thing we're the worst at and really try it out and, and walk our way through it, it's going to be painful, but you will be a much, much better human being and you will live so much longer. That's your playbook for learning new things? Absolutely, yeah. So I, I love doing stuff I'm bad at. I'm bad at and, 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 and I'm getting better and eventually I'm good at it. Does that also mean failures? Look, the word failure is overrated. It's not about failure. You always, you always succeed. So, so either something you try works, okay, that's good, or something you try doesn't quite work. So you learn something and you never make the same mistake twice. So either case you win. Of course, we all would like to make the right choices, but if you're an entrepreneur and do something that hasn't been done before, you can't assume that all your choices are right. In fact, most of your choices will be wrong. But as long as you learn from it and never make the same mistake twice, you're on the right path. One of the reasons I also always thought of you as an outlier, Sebastian, is, you know, you look around, you look at new entrepreneurs, people building, uh, they were building e-commerce companies and, and, and so on, right? I mean, the problems of today, are, are, you always seem to pick the science, almost like science fiction ideas. Now, uh, you know, today's sci-fi is tomorrow's reality. Uh, but how do you turn science fiction ideas, what appears to be science fiction to us? into reality and commercially you know, viable business? What, what is? Well, well, if you look at the last, for say, 150 years, um, all the great stuff that happened has been someone putting science fiction into reality, right? Electricity, uh, running water, penicillin, smartphones, airplanes, cars. These were all science fiction ideas, and they're all very much doable. I would say when you approach, we can approach problems in two ways. You can either... By, go by analogy, as we've never seen this before, so it's never going to happen. Or it's always been this way, it's always going to be this way. Or by first principles, like, is it really true, for example, that people should die of cancer? Or is it really true that cars should stay on the ground? And when you think first principles, you often find very nonlinear new solutions. And those new solutions drive society forward. What is your playbook for Picking new ideas, Sebastian. Like, is this the problem? Is it your fantasy? What is it? I mean, take us, I want to get in the hood and see how it happens. I mean, think about the following. Um, what bothers you the most? Okay, I can tell you, um, coming to Bangalore today, I was excited. Bangalore is Udacity's most active city in the world. And I was daunted being stuck in traffic for hours. Okay, so that actually bothered me. And then I looked up a little bit and about 100 meters above me, there's absolutely nothing. So if I had a magic wand to lift us all up like 100 meters in the air or two, 300 meters, traffic would be not a problem. So then, then ask yourself the question, is this complete utter science fiction or is it possible? And you know what? We're already doing it. We're doing it in the long haul when we go between countries in jets. We're very used to it. So why not doing it in the short haul, like across the city? Okay, well, start thinking about this. Maybe it's the lack of airports, okay? But then we have already vehicles 
They don't require airports, they're called helicopters. Maybe they are too expensive, well, let's make them cheaper. Maybe they're too noisy, well, let's make them quiet. So, so all of these things can be done, in my opinion. So we just have to do them. It's been quite a while since we saw, you know, uh, autonomous vehicle, the, the whole DARPA thing, and then the flying car thing as well. How long before it actually happens? And how far are we away from that in cities like Bangalore or anywhere? So we have prototypes in our lab that can fly easily uh, 200 kilometers range uh, at 200 kilometers per hour um, today. Uh, super quiet, super cheap. Um, these are prototypes. Um, the physics work. Um, what is completely missing is the integration into society. Uh, the, the regulatory side, um, the social acceptance side, um, the business models, and so on. And that's next. I mean, I'm determined to see it through and, and see what happens. As an inventor, can you solve all this? This is like a full stack of problem, right? I mean, you, you invent something, but then the challenges of making it a reality uh, will take very different skill sets. So as an inventor, where do you stop and, and where do you decide I won't cross this line? <laughs> well, I would say um, one of the key things to do in life is to hire good people and find good partners and be realistic about where your real skill sets are. Uh, even if your ambitions might be somewhere else, uh, your skill sets will be limited, so are mine. Um, I've had years ago this idea of building a global university and bring teach everybody in the world uh, the latest and best of what Silicon Valley has to offer. And it took me about eight years to build this company called Udacity that now has a massive following here in India uh, and worldwide, where we really have transformed tens of thousands of lives already. Um, you have to, I mean, you have to have grit, you have to have perseverance, you can't give up. Right, so never, ever give up. How do you move from one project to another, Sebastian? I mean, what I'm also trying to understand is uh, a lot of people talk about, uh, you know, moving on or, uh, you know, not necessarily because they have failed. But how do you switch? How do you make these transitions to new ideas? So my main problem is I, I have way too much stuff having in my head. If I did all my ideas, I, I would do nothing really well. Um, and sometimes I go back, like I just resumed leadership of Udacity uh, and I'm currently the interim CEO of the company um, because I, I want to see it succeed at a grand scale. Um, what I always love to do is um, find myself a team I com completely trust. And when that happens, it's magical. Um, literally, I can go on vacation for a month and come back and everything is in, in good shape. So to me, the people equation is as important as the technology equation and all this. I read a lot of stuff. Uh, I also watched that video, famous video, <laughs> where people talking about AI and, and this whole debate with Elon, uh, you know, going around and, and what it means for humanity and, and, and so on, right? Are we reading it wrong? What What is your view? Well, I'm an optimist. Um, the, the big change uh, with machine learning in particular, um, what often people call AI, uh, is that computers can now form their own rules. So in the past, um, you would program a computer by sitting down as an, as an entrepreneur and uh, write down a rule for every contingency. And computers would be dumb. They would just follow those rules. And, and that was very hard to think through every problem. So that's why the software engineers make a lot of money. Uh, now with machine learning, you, you, you train them more like people. You give them data, examples, and the computer forms their own rules. That is incredibly powerful. Um, it's incredibly powerful that computers can do this because now computers can sit there in the corner, watch a human expert work, and figure out what drives this expert and what makes good decisions and learn their own rules. Um, let me give you an analogy. It's kind of mind-blowing. But um, 
in the history of humanity, uh, most people learned uh, by apprentice learning for the last four, four five hundred thousand years, a younger person working alongside elder people, more experienced people. Not very scalable. Then Gutenberg invented the printing press, where an expert could now decipher the knowledge into text and pass it on to sometimes hundreds of thousands of people. More scalable, but still painful. AI now sits there in the corner, watches experts do stuff like medicine or law or whatever it is, journalism, and picks up those rules and can give those rules to novices and help them become experts on day one. It is that fundamental what we're seeing right now with AI. It's the single most important thing happening in society. There is also a kind of a land grab with AI, right? You look at arms race almost, like the China, the US uh, declaration. People in some quarters in India also wonder what can India really do? You have, if you have were to have a bystander view of this arms race or land grab, what do you make of uh, these countries uh, doing this? I mean, is it is it going to be a winner versus losers? What is it? I don't think it's a, it's a country level decision. To be honest, I think it's a corporate level, a individual level decision, and it doesn't. I think start with just proclaiming. It starts with education. It really starts with education. Um, there's now um, a whole bunch of education materials out there that are bleeding edge. My own company, Udacity, specializes in it, so people can take another degree education to become AI experts for relatively little money. But there's alternatives as well, and. Once you're educated, the second thing is entrepreneurship. It's really trying these technologies in new contexts. Um, recent examples include AI for journalists to write articles faster, AI for lawyers to uh, see through large document bodies faster, AI for doctors to find cancer more, more, more quickly. The, the set of applications is limitless, and I would encourage everybody on this podcast to really give it a try. It's, it's transformational to you and your family to become an expert. A lot of people... Uh you know, it, people talked about India's demographic dividend, uh, you know, decades ago when this whole IT revolution happened. And now the whole automation and at another level with, with AI, uh, there is anxiety uh, about jobs and about the new jobs. So from where, where you sit, and, and you, I know you, you're involved with uh, one of the biggest companies around here as a university. What do you make of this? What, how should people look at it? I think the anxiety is justified, um, but I, I would probably not be guided by it. Uh, obviously, every person today probably has to engage in lifelong learning. It's probably not enough to do it once in a lifetime. But then um, whenever I have these waves of progress, new amazing jobs come up. Right? I'm pretty sure 300 years ago, when everybody worked in agriculture in Europe, where I'm from, there was anxiety when the first steam engine was invented. Oh, my God, it's going to kill our jobs. It's going to happen to us. And guess what happened? Now we have all these new jobs, right? So from airline pilot to TV newscaster to software engineer that never existed back in the day. I'm very convinced as we build AI to make people experts faster and also more effective and repetitive work, we invent more and more creative work. So just imagine you could build, say, um, Flipkart in a day or Google in a day. How cool would that be for society? And I think we're going to get there. For, for a country like India? Would it mean anything different? I think India has every reason to be proud. Uh, I, I used to come to Bangalore regularly, and the progress has been uh, mind-blowing. To see uh, Indian-built companies like Oya or, or Flipkart succeed is a feast. There's very few countries that can uh, praise themselves having done this. To go to Infosys and see what the company has accomplished, just walk through the campus and talk to people, 
puts, I think, that company at the spot of the very, very best tech companies in the world. Um, I think there's enormous potential, uh, and I, I can really see India in the tech space becoming its own identity. Having said this, I wish there was a better funding base for entrepreneurs. We know that India is good for seed funding now, but not many Indian conglomerates or rich people put money into later stage uh, investments yet. And I hope it's going to grow over time. I think India has a, has a chance in terms of its labor force and its innovation to rival and, and surpass China. And that's a big deal. It is? You, you, you believe in that? Uh, the potential is absolutely there. And I think that's challenging for everybody. But China has shown the world that even in this specific instance without democracy, um, you can build four of the 10 biggest tech companies ever built. Um, I think India with a population rivaling China, with youth, with energy, with resolve, with smarts, and hopefully, hopefully a bit thanks to Asikadasiti, with good education, <laughs> we're not the only ones. Um, I, I want to see what happens here 20 years from now. I'm actually extreme, extremely optimistic. few years ago, uh, not just NY Times, a bunch of people said Udacity is failure. When you are involved with ideas and companies that you build, uh, how do you take criticism? I love criticism. And we have this incredibly honest, transparent um, aura in Udacity because if you don't critique yourself, you can't really learn. So for me, it's never about failure or, or blame. It's always about opportunity. Um, let's go back and see what mistakes I made that I can learn from so I never make the same mistake again. And I go around my company and say, everybody can make every mistake, but it can make it only once. Uh, if you don't learn from it, that's a real problem. I think it's, it takes this kind of somewhat humble approach to life, right? If, if your ego is in it, you're probably going to fail. You have to be willing to say, this is something that I don't know the solution, but I want to learn from it. At Udacity, through many, many iterations, we're now at a point where our graduation rates on average for the tile company are 10 times or more higher than they used to be when we did MOOCs. And uh, there's a lot of sweat went into this. We recently had a, a pilot with Infosys where we graduated 100% of the students in the pilot in self-driving cars. That was the result of massive learning and massive, you could call it failing along the way. Uh, but to me, that's the fun of it. To me, we learn so much and we can accomplish so much if we have an open mindset that the sky is the limit. How do you know if something is worked? What, I mean, what is your definition of success? You, you always have a, a vision, like in, in Udacity to teach the world, in, in um, flying cars to free the world from traffic. And then you, you come up with metrics. Uh, and those are really important. So for Udacity, we care how many students do we place in better jobs, right? Like promotions or new jobs. And then they measure those metrics. And then from there, you build subordinate metrics. Um, the job metric is very, very slow. It takes like half a year to measure, to, to see an effect. So then you ask questions like how many projects have students passed? Um, how many hours then students in classrooms? And if you do a good, good job with these metrics, you find um, the effect of your actions very, very quickly. On a more final note, Sebastian, <laughs> the things that you do, we look at them and say, oh, this is science fiction, right? So what would be your idea of science fiction? What is like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 year long view for you? What are the crazy things in your mind? I mean, obviously there's, there's things I'd love to be resolved, like for example, eternal life would be really nice. And there's actually no real reason why we don't have uh, unlimited life. 
Uh, there's many entrepreneurs working on this right now. Um, whenever it was Google and built Google Glass, I really would love to have a, a brain implant that makes me know everything and speak every language. Um, that was kind of hard to do um, for medical reasons, so we settled for Google Glass as the closest surrogate for this, uh, as a sensor right next to your eyes. Um, but the, the reality is um, you can solve every problem. You just have to, to be very careful to articulate it carefully. For example, the problem of uh, being able to shout somebody between India and Germany um, is solvable if you're letting yourself use a cell phone in, in the middle, right? Um, this is not exactly the same as shouting, but it's almost the same. The, the problem of, of running from India to Germany in like a few hours is solvable if you allow yourself sitting in an aircraft in between. So part of solving problems, um, you have to kind of redefine the problem along the way. And then you can literally um, solve all the problems. Like for example, in, in Star Trek, there's this thing called beaming, right? And it would love great to have a physical beamer from location A to B, but with virtual reality, it's completely understandable that soon we're going to be able to experience uh, remote locations almost as realistic as in the real world. Video conferencing is a very first step in that direction. This podcast is also a step. But once we have a, a realistic a VR system, we might be able to really go and see a friend in some other country, hang out with them for a day and come back. Final uh, question, Sebastian. Uh, I know you talked about uh, immortality uh, as one of the pursuits, but what would be your legacy? I don't really care about my legacy, honestly, because when I'm dead, I, I, I won't even be able to learn anything new and empower people. And in the grand scheme of things, there's no legacy to begin with. Um, who would who remember who lived 2,000 years ago other than Jesus Christ? Um, so it's actually not very much. Um, I care about the here now. I care about the people I can touch today, honestly. That's, and, I, and I care about myself. I want to learn new things. That's much more important to me. I just want to sit there and every day feel a bit like an idiot because I'm new to this and I have to figure it out. And then when I finally figure it out, I have this kind of wonderful, rewarding feeling that I figured it out. Stay idiot, Sebastian. It's infectious to hear this. Thank you so much. For Thank, you. Thank you. Thanks for your time.